Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. Uh, during worship in the first service, uh, my heart kind of went towards what's going on the other end of the country with the hurricanes, and, and we were singing this song, uh, My God, My God, I Need You. And it, it just it struck something in my heart that when we gather as a people of faith and we sing these songs, they're, they're proclamations and they're prayers. And it's not just about our individual lives or the community here at Living Word. We're actually crying out as a people of God for God to work and to deliver and to care. And so I hope that you're praying and uh, kind of interceding. And there's a lot of, of relief going in to help care for the families and, and just the devastation there. But um, we, as a people of faith, we get to pray, right? And, and so I invite you to be, to be praying. Uh, a few months ago, we did this series in the Psalms, and uh, we, we read through this psalm. It's a very, very, very familiar psalm. Even if you're new to faith or new uh, to the scriptures, you probably know this psalm. It was Psalm 23, and I want to read it this morning uh, again together. Here's, here's the psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We spent a a few weeks looking at the Psalms, and we discussed uh, how God is our good shepherd, and he's somebody who cares for us. He's somebody who knows us. He's somebody who leads us and guides us and, and provides for us. Today, we're going to kick off a new series uh, called The Valley. Everyone say The Valley. The valley. By definition, uh, a valley, it's an area that runs between kind of two hills or mountain peaks. And it, a valley's often created by water that just carves out the ground over a long period of time and, and forms kind of a low place. The valley is a low place. It's a place that uh, all of us have to navigate through and walk through, but it's a place that nobody wants to be. At least most of the time. I was talking to a hunter uh, after the first service who was saying, yeah, you want to get down in the valley because that's where you kind of funnel your animal to and then you shoot it. Uh, And then you got to go get it. Anyway, I'm not a hunter, as you can tell. I would like to be, but that is not relevant to anything we're talking about this morning. (laughs) The valley valley is a, a normal, it's actually a normal part of your experience in this life. And there's a lot of different ways that we experience the valley. The valley uh, may be somebody I just prayed with last service. The valley may be you're losing somebody that's close to you, a family member, or you've lost somebody that's close to you. And you're walking through grief and and suffering and pain associated with that. Uh, The valley 
could be connected to your job. Either you're in a job that feels like a valley or maybe you've lost a job and you're trying to figure out how do we make ends meet? How, how do we do this moving forward? The valley uh, could be a bad diagnosis from your, your doctor. The, the valley could be uh, you're in a relationship with a friend or maybe it's your spouse and you've been living life together for a while, but you reach an impasse and it seems like you're in an impossible situation. How do we make it through this? The valley uh, could be you're stuck in some form of addiction and, and you've been there for a long time and, and you're not sure how to get out of it and you're not sure if anybody can help you out of it and you kind of live in isolation and, and fear. That, that can be a valley. The valley can be the, what we're walking in right now, coming out of a, a season that was really, really hard uh, with the pandemic and now we're realizing all the mental and emotional and physical effects that are long-term from that time. There's a, it's a valley. It's a difficult time. And all of us experience them and there's a lot of different types of valleys. Moments where we feel maybe a little bit unprepared or we feel uh, a sense of discouragement or, or fear. We're, in this series, we're going to talk about four valleys in particular. Uh, the valley of waiting, the valley of depression, the valley of fear, and the valley of failure. And, and my hope over these four weeks, as we have this conversation and we dive into some stories in the scriptures, my, my hope and my prayer for you and for our community is that we encounter the presence of God in the valley that we know who God is in those spaces, that we experience his presence and his care and his provision. That we, we, like David, can say, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm going to fear no evil. Why? Because you're with me. And your rod and your staff, they, they actually comfort me, they care for me, they protect me. So today we're going to enter into an Old Testament story. Grab your Bible or your phone, turn to Numbers 13. We're going to start this conversation by talking about the valley of waiting. And uh, we, we live in an instant culture, so everything to us, everything to us feels like waiting. Right? Uh, I was watching a show last night on Netflix, and it wasn't streaming fast enough, and I thought that the world was falling apart. Because the little, you know, circle thingy, it's like it's not loading. Like that to us feels like the end of the world, right? Uh, or, or when we order something online, we, we fully expect it to be on our doorstep in two days. Which is insane if you think about the reality that we live. Like you can order something and it magically shows up on your doorstep. But if it's a day late, oh my gosh, Right? I, uh, I was in Hagen, I don't know, it was last week or two weeks ago, maybe you experienced this, but their, their uh, internet was down or they were having issues. Were you there, Tony? Yeah. So their internet was down, so their, their cashier stands, like everything was running slow, right? So normally you go through like self-checkout. I went there for one item, and I was thinking, I'm going to go in, and I'm going to go out, I'm on my way home, it's going to be quick. no. Like every person that went through the line, it was like five minutes. And it was the evening, so everybody was there. So the lines were backed all the way down the aisles. 
as we were waiting to go, I was thinking a, a three-minute trip to Hagen, and it ended up being like 30, 30-something-odd 30 minutes. And it's amazing when you're in that space, what happens inside of you? It's amazing what is revealed. All of the feelings and thoughts on the inside that may have been disguised in activity for the whole day, when you are stopped in your plans and your purposes for the day, your heart comes out. And so here we are standing in the chip aisle, me with like 20 friends that I just met, and, and we were not a happy bunch, and it was very interesting to watch. Uh, Don, for service, said, gosh, if, it was, if you were waiting that long, like, why don't you just go to Safeway or something? And I said... Dude, you should have been there. It was like a show. Like, I stayed because it was like, look at what's happening in us right now. <laughs> so there's something wrong with you, Drew. I'm, yeah, yeah, I know. There is. Uh, if you've ever been stuck behind slow traffic or maybe uh, you've been on a phone call and it's, you get to listen to that beautiful music for like 35 minutes, like, are you still there? You get it. You, you get the feeling of, of waiting. In numbers... The people of God, they had experienced this incredible, miraculous work of God delivering them from slavery in Egypt. This is a part of their story. They were slaves for 400 years, and God shows up, and he shows his power, and the, the plague story happens, and he leads them through the Red Sea into the desert. The, the people had experienced that. We're about a, a year or so from that experience, and now the people are in the desert, but God made a promise to them when he showed up to deliver them. Here's the promise. In Exodus 3, he says, I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Prezites, the Hivites, the Ites. All of the Ites live there. Uh, and God, so God makes this promise, like, I'm going to take you to a place, and it's going to be a good place, and it's going to be flown with, with milk and honey. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be a, a wonderful place. Here's a map. Ge geographically, I want to show you what this looked like. Over on the left side of the map is Egypt. This is where God showed up and rescued them, called Moses to come and lead them out. Over on the top right of the map is where the promised land was. And in numbers, we're down at the bottom star. So where God delivered and where God promised, but where they are, they're in this in-between space. They're not in the promised land yet. They've, they're past the deliverance space. They're in this place of, of waiting. And in this place, they send spies up into the promised land because they want to know, is God true to his word? Is, is what he promised us actually true? Now let's pick up the text. Numbers 13, chapter 13, verse 25. Here's what it says. At the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land. And they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told them, we came to the land to which you sent us it flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. So, so translation, uh, we went into the place that God promised a long time ago, and when we got there, it was exactly like he said it was going to be. 
strangely enough. And check it out. Here's some evidence. This fruit. It's incredible. God promised it. It's there. Weird. Verse 28. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the hill country. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. So, so again, they, they, they go out and they spy the land and they see that it is exactly as he's promised and it's a good land. It's, it's a place they would want to be. But they also notice that there's some things that stand in the way. There, there's enemies, there's, there's barriers, there's, there's things that stand between us and the promised land. I'm not sure we're going to actually be able to get into this land because of these barriers. I'll be frank this morning. There are always barriers between where you are and where God calls you to be. <laughs> there will always, if you're hoping that your walk with Jesus is one that does not have barriers and obstacles and enemies, you are misunderstanding the story of faith. There's always obstacles. There, we live in a fallen world. There is always barriers. There's always difficulties that stand in between where we are and where God calls us to be. That's what's happening in this story. And the, the interesting thing is, is that the biggest barriers, and it's true then and it's true for us, are, are not the external barriers. It's the internal ones. Because the people in this story are confronted with what they really believe about God. Is he faithful to his promises? Can he carry us into the promised land like he said he was going to? Can he defeat our enemies? Can he provide for us? Their faith is revealed. Do we trust in his promise or do these potential barriers and problems kind of distract us or detract us or move us away? In numbers, all but a couple of people were shaken by these problems that stood in the way. Continuing on, verse 30. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they'd spied out, saying the land through which we have gone to spy out, it is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim, and we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. <laughs> so it's an interesting turn of events here. The, these people that actually saw the promised land are now saying, this place is not good. It swallows people. It eats people up. These enemies are, are far too, too big. They allowed the, the circumstances in front of them to cloud their ability to 
see the promise and believe in it. Anybody struggle with that in their journey of faith where God has spoken things over your life and you're not seeing it yet and so you start to wrestle with, is this really true? Is, will he really provide here? Can he really, will he really carry me through this? For the record, the people of Israel who kind of were overcome by these obstacles, it just didn't go well for them. Uh, it doesn't go well for us either. Continuing in chapter 14, watch what happens. Verse 1, Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt. Or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. A couple of observations in this story. First, uh, in the Valley of Waiting, our perspective can often overshadow God's promise. The spies, they go into the land, they're not making it up, right? There's, there are barriers, there are enemies in the land, there's obstacles. They're not making that up, that's a real thing. And they evaluate the situation. They make a list of all of the enemies, how that one's pretty tall, <laughs> They seem, they're all really tall. They go back to their people. They evaluate their leadership. They evaluate the people of Israel and they match up who they are and they look at their enemies and they compare them and they say, well, if we go into the land, here's what's going to happen. We're going to die. We're going to die. From their perspective, what they see is death. In fact, they, they go even farther. They say, what is God bringing us out here to kill us all? Did, did he lead us out here? Does he just want our kids to die? In the valley, we can lean heavily on our perspective based on what I see, based on what I observe, based on, on my human perspective. Here's how this is going to play out. And, and when this happens, it's happened with them, it happens with us. When we begin to rely on our perspective, we slowly push God out of the equation. We, we, we become, in a sense, we become Lord over the situation. With our perspective, with our ideas, with our resources, here's what we're capable of. And the people forgot that it was God who had delivered them and provided for them and cared for them and given them water and given them food and dealt with their enemies. They had forgotten that God himself had been present in their camp the whole time. Does this not happen in our life today? When we face something that's difficult, when we face something that's challenging, we begin to lose perspective on who our God is and we trust in our own perspective. We push God out of the equation. We look at our obstacles and our 
our strengths and our weaknesses and we look at the leaders around us and we look at our resources and we say, are we going to make it through this? I don't know. From my perspective, no. Or maybe more accurately, uh, (laughs) we turn on our favorite news outlet and we trust somebody else's perspective of what we're facing and we make decisions based on that. I didn't say what news outlet. It doesn't matter what news outlet. The problem for the Israelites is that God was taking them to a place they'd never been, and he was taking them to a place that they couldn't take on their own strength. He was teaching them, listen, you actually need me. In fact, this is the way I designed it from the very beginning. We were supposed to be in relationship. You weren't supposed to be the one that had to provide everything and protect. I wanted to be that for you when I spoke you into existence. And now I'm trying to teach you again. Like, I actually care for you. I've created you to work the land. You know, you partner with me. But in the end, I'm the good father, the one that's protecting and caring. He's trying to teach them that in the desert. He's trying to remind them of those things in the desert. The valley is a place where God teaches us uh, how, to, how to let go and trust in him. Now the hardest thing, and maybe, maybe this is true for your story, maybe not, the hardest thing for us to do is to peel our fingers off the steering wheel of our lives. Anybody else? It's like, ah! <laughs> Notice uh, some things that take place that maybe or maybe not parallel some experiences we have today. Um, Chapter 14, bring that back up again. In this text, uh, there was a lot of grumbling. Verse 2, all the people of Israel grumbled. Down in verse 3, they fantasized about the way things were. They're like, let's go back to Egypt. Do you remember what Egypt was? (laughs) Slavery. (laughs) Oppression. It was not good. They're like, we should go back there. That'll be great. They fantasized about the way it was. And three, in verse four, they desired to appoint leaders who would do what they wanted. Is this strikingly similar to things that we're experiencing today? I think we've had our fair share of grumbling I think we've had our fair share of like, oh, we just need to go back to the way it was. I think we've had our fair share of like, well, we need to find somebody who's going to take us to where we want to go. I'll align with them. But there's another option. By the grace of God, there's another option. Can I suggest this is actually the invitation of God in the valley? Continuing in verse 5 of 14. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, the land which we passed through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. And if the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land for they are bread for us. Their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. 
This is a very different response. Verse 10. <laughs> then all the congregants said to stone them with stones. <laughs> but the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. So, <laughs> so, so Joshua and Caleb stand up and say, God promised it, let's go. Game on. They're nothing to our God. Let's move forward. And everybody else said, somebody kill those people. Grab some stones, let's take them out. Isn't that crazy? Joshua and Caleb, they approached the situation with a different perspective. They, they trusted in the promise of God. They trusted in his faithfulness to lead them to where they were. They trusted that he could actually take them to where he said he was going to take them. They trusted his presence, relied on his, his power. You want to know the sobering part of the story? If you're familiar with the story in Numbers, the story is that actually most of the people did not enter the promised land. The story is that they died in the desert because of their lack of faith. Because they didn't trust in the Lord. And only Joshua and Caleb and a bunch of the kids saw the promised land. Is that just like, kind of sit a little bit heavy? <laughs> The promised land, it's not just about a place that, that someday we'll get into. And I, I mentioned this last service. It's very fascinating. If you look at the Old Testament and, and the way the narrative plays out, this deliverance, the work of God to save them, God's provision throughout all of the years, this promised land that they're going to live in someday by the grace of God, and if you fast forward into our story today, there was an act of deliverance that took place. God himself came to a broken and sinful world and he took a cross that we deserve. He died and rose again to deliver us from our sin. And someday, the promise is, that we will have eternity with him. For those who put their faith in Jesus, it's the gift of eternal life. Are you with me? So, so as the Old Testament story plays out, it actually plays out today. There was this deliverance in Jesus. There's this promise of eternal life with him forever. But guess where we're living? In between the deliverance and the promise. And so what do we do in this place. We could say this is the valley of waiting in some ways. What do we do in this place? In the valley of waiting, we're invited to put our faith in his promise, in his presence, and in his power to lead us forward. This is the work that God does in these in-between spaces. He's teaching us this because it's not about a place. It's, it's always been about a people. And what God is forming in the desert in numbers, he's still forming in us today. He's showing us Listen, I'm actually trustworthy. Everything I've said, I've been faithful to carry out. Are you ready to believe that yet? 
Oh, we'll keep going. Okay. God, God is, remains faithful and true to everything that he said. And we bump up against these challenges and these difficulties, and we're learning actually what it means to place our lives in the hands of a sovereign and caring and loving God. Even when we don't know how it's going to work out. Because we can look at the enemies and say, man, those are, looks like Nephilim. They're giants. Well, we can take these guys out. Having faith is standing in between the past and the promise and trusting God's presence with us. And today, as God did throughout all of the Old Testament, he extends his hand to us and he says, listen, do you trust me with your life? Do you trust me? Do you trust that I see, that I'm well aware of what's going on? Do you, do you trust that um, I understand the barriers and the obstacles that you are seeing? Do you, do you trust that when I say something, I can actually carry it out? Do you trust that, that my presence is actually enough for you in whatever you're facing? Do you trust that? He extends his hand to us today. This morning, we're going to close our service uh, by receiving communion today. And... Um, We've got different communion cups, so just want to encourage you. You can do it. Uh, they're a little different. They might be difficult to open. The bread is on the bottom, in case you're not seeing that. I feel like we've got a coach every time we get something new here, right? Bread's on the bottom, and it actually looks like a piece of... Anyway, irrelevant. Worship team, you guys can join me. If you're a guest with us today, uh, communion is something that we participate in, in our particular context, once a month. Uh, some other faith communities, they do this every time they get together. But it's a, it's a symbolic meal, and, it, and it's important uh, to take this meal regularly. It, it reminds us of some important truths about our God. That, that our God entered the deepest valley of human sin and gave his life so that we could actually experience new life and restoration. This is the good news. This is the gospel. That, that you are not rescued, that you are not saved, that you are not redeemed because you have rescued or redeemed yourself. But God has worked on your behalf to rescue and redeem you. This is the good news. And so we take this meal often. Well, it's not a meal. Uh, could be a meal. In fact, I encourage you every time you gather around a meal and you break bread and you look the people in the face that you love, that it's actually an act of remembrance of God's goodness. But that's a, another message. We do this to hold fast to the fact that God sees you, he loves you, he knows everything about you. And he gave his life for you. Because he loves you. And nothing can change that. Now for us, we receive that, we accept that that's true, we believe in Jesus or we don't, and that has implications for our life. When we take this meal, we're saying we believe that that's true. 
that his body was broken for us, that his blood was shed, that we have eternal life in Christ someday, but that he is present right now in this room by his spirit to give us everything that we need for what is in front of us today and tomorrow. Amen? That's what we're remembering. We serve a present God. He sees you and he knows you. And he's your provider. He's your protector. You might not feel like you have enough strength. He does. He's holding your life. We thank him for that today. The body of Christ, which was broken for you. Let's receive that together. The cup, which represents the blood of Christ, which was shed for you and I for the forgiveness of our sins and our waywardness. Let's receive the cup together. Will you stand with me as we close in worship?